We live in uncertain times. Everything that can be shaken is being shaken in our world today. But you know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we have been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. My name is Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad you're joining me today on Awaken to Grace, because with all the uncertainty that is in the world today, we're going to look at the truth of Scripture. And when Jesus tells the church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3 that he is going to make them pillars, in other words, symbols of strength and stability, we're going to see how those promises that Jesus made to this incredible church, well, they most certainly apply to our lives today. I'm so glad you're joining me on this broadcast of Awaken to Grace Radio. Go with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse number 7. The Bible says, To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who holds the key of David, who opens doors that no man can open and shuts doors that no man can shut. Let's tackle verse 1, or, well, point 1, verse 7. Let's tackle this first and understand what the Lord wants to say to us, not only about this church, but about this city. If you're taking notes today, I want you to note a few things that is relevant to our text about the city of Philadelphia. You know, the city of Philadelphia, we're familiar with that name because of the city in Pennsylvania, right? And the name Philadelphia actually means brotherly Love, And if you've ever been to our Philadelphia, you would think they're being sarcastic, right? But Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. This was actually founded by who was the king of another city we were in previously, Pergamum. That was our third church that we studied. And this king of Pergamum went down to Philadelphia, founded the city, was, uh, had such an affection for his royal brother that he named the city Philadelphia over his love that he shared for his brother. But here's what I want you to know, three quick things that I want you to know that is very relevant to our text today. Number one, Philadelphia was steeped with pagan worship and with idolatry. There were so many temples in the city of Philadelphia that it was actually nicknamed Little Athens because there were all kinds of temples that just was built, constructed all over the city. You know, all of the cities we've been to in Asia Minor, what is today modern Turkey, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, they've all been steeped in idolatry. They've all been steeped in idol worship, and Philadelphia was no exception. They were a city of immense idol worship, and Jesus is going to have something to say about it. Number two, I want you to know they were called the gateway or the doorway to the east. If you wanted to go on to the European countries and to the Asian countries, well, you had to go through Philadelphia. 
It was strategically situated where it was on the Imperial Highway. It was a major trade route. And what it was known for in this day that John wrote the letter from Christ to the church, they were known as a gateway. They were known as a doorway. And Jesus is going to have something very specific to say to his church about that. Lastly, I want you to know the city was built on a geographical fault line and they suffered many earthquakes. The city was prone to earthquakes, prone to great aftershocks. And often people would flee the city and it would take them a long time to come back. They would go to what was called, it was the country and it was called the burnt lands. And that's where they would flee Because earthquakes were so severe. Jesus is going to have something very specific to say about this at the end. When we get to verse 12, we'll tie it all together and and we'll see what Jesus is truly saying to this church and to this church age and to us as well. Now let's notice how Jesus introduces himself to the church at Philadelphia. We know now that it means the city of brotherly love. We know that It dealt with idol worship, steeped in pagan worship. We know that they were the doorway, the gateway to the east, and we know that they were prone to earthquakes. Now let's see what Jesus has to say specifically to the people of the city. He says, number one, write the words of the Holy One, (laughs) the true one, who holds the key of David, Who opens doors that no man can open and shuts doors that no man can shut. What's Jesus saying to his church? Well, note this. Just three quick things I want you to note here. Jesus introduces himself as the holy one, the genuine, the genuine, (laughs) that's hard to say, genuine one. I'm not going to try that again. The authentic one. And the sovereign one. All right? So let's understand what he's saying. First of all. He says, I am the Holy One. You know, church, if anything that we have lost in our church age, in our day today, it is the reverence and the awe for the holiness of God. Would you agree with that? In our own individual lives, do we not sometimes forget how holy of a God that we serve? You know, this is why Jesus uh, this is why the Bible instructs us in 1 Peter that we are to be holy as God is holy in all conduct, in all manner of our living, in every way that we conduct ourselves, we are to be holy. Peter says, arm yourselves with this way of thinking, that you are to be holy. Do you know what the actual word picture is in 1 Peter chapter 1? It's actually fitting that I'm wearing this shirt today. I knew it was going to be very hot today, and usually I wear a, a, a dress shirt that's all tucked in. Today I've got this casual shirt on, and it's untucked. I didn't do that for the purpose of the sermon series, but it actually fits really well. Because the actual Greek word picture of what Peter is writing in 1 Peter 1 is that we not leave our robes untucked. It literally means 
tuck in the loose ends of your thinking. Those things that are just hanging out. Those things that you're too casual about. Those things that you're not paying attention to. The Bible says, tuck those things in. It's actually a military imperative. And what Peter is meaning in these days, you know, men wore these long flowing garments and tunics. And what they would do, if you went on the battlefield and you had a long flowing robe on, what's going to happen? You're going to trip. You're going to fall. Wouldn't you feel stupid on the battlefield? Falling and tripping before the enemy even got to you? And so what they would do is they would take their long robes or their tunics and they would tuck them into that belt of truth. And this is what Peter is saying. Some of you are allowing in your life too many things to just be untucked. You're too casual. Tuck it in. Because you know what Satan will do? He'll grab hold of it and he'll throw you down. You understand what I'm saying? So he says, be holy as I am holy. Friends, Do you and I, are we reverent toward the holiness of God? How many of us that we love Jesus Christ? We love the Lord Jesus Christ. But when something bad goes wrong, out of our mouth spews his name. Have you ever busted your hand on something and said, Jesus Christ? Oh, followers of Jesus ought not do that, should we? We should honor his name, the name that's above all names, the name whereby every man must be saved. Have you ever noticed how odd it is in our culture that we'll get mad and say, God this or Jesus Christ this? Why do you never bust your hand and go, Muhammad? Why do we not do that? Wouldn't that be more fitting? Oh, Buddha. Wouldn't that make more sense? Than to take the Lamb of God who shed his blood for us and curse? No, we need the church today, you and I today, we would do well to get a fresh glimpse of the holiness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Second, he introduces himself as the true one. What does he mean when he says, the holy one, the true one? Well, do you remember what we said? This place was littered with temples. They worshipped all kinds of gods. They were nicknamed the little Athens. You remember when Paul was in the city of Athens in the book of Acts? And Paul said they were so religious. Man is incurably religious. And always has been and always will be. And Paul says that they had so many gods worshiping, so many gods, that they even had a God built, an altar built to the unknown God. Isn't that interesting? To the unknown God. Well, what Jesus is saying to the Christians of this city, he's saying, I know there are many pagan temples. There are many idols in this city. But Jesus, this is literally what it means. It means I am the genuine I am the (laughs) non-manufactured. I am the authentic son of God. And there's no one like me. Amen. Some years ago, I was preaching in Cali, Colombia in South America. I would get there and I would say, Colombia. And they would go, no, Colombia. (laughs) They corrected me all the time. But it was great coffee. 
and great preaching. But every taxi I'd get into, they'd have a little statue of Jesus. Every store you go into, you know, they'd have statues of Jesus. No, what's Jesus? Jesus is saying, I'm not a statue. I'm not an idol. I'm not an emblem. I'm not manufactured. You can't reproduce me. Jesus is saying, I am the one, the true, and the living, and the authentic, and the genuine God. Amen. No wonder he says in John 4, they who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. No wonder Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Amen. Now, this is interesting. He says he's the holy one. He says he is the authentic one, the true one. Now he says, I am the sovereign one, the authoritative one. What does he mean by the key of David? He holds the key of David. Well, remember early in our study we said there are some 400 verses in the book of Revelation. Yet within those 400 verses, we find over 800 references back to the Old Testament. And this is exactly what we find with the key of David. This is a reference to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 22. If you go back to Isaiah, these were in the king in the days of King Hezekiah. Egypt was protecting Israel, which is very odd, and angered the Lord. And a wicked man was using Israel's treasury for his personal gain. And God saw to it that he was removed. And God said in his place a, named, a man by the name of Eliakim. And in Isaiah chapter 22 verses 15 to 25, we read his story. And in verse 22, it says that Eliakim was given the key of David and that Eliakim had the authority to open the treasury of Israel. Well, friends, what this is an example of is the authority, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 1.8, it says that Jesus has both the keys, the keys of both Death and hell. And here it says he has the key of David. What does that mean? It means he has all authority. Amen. And when you think about the authority of God and you think about the authority that God has given us, let me tell you, my friends, it will revolutionize the way that you think and the way that you pray. There are certain people in our church who are key holders. They've been given the authority to hold a key to our church. If you came up to me and you say, Chad, uh, I need to be in the church on such and such day at such and such time, uh, could I use your key? And if I gave you my key that has a certain number, that is a high security key assigned only to me with a certain number that I have signed for and it is on record, what am I doing? I am delegating my authority to you. I'm giving you my key. Better be careful with it, right? Better not lose it because I've signed for it. And I've delegated my authority to you. Friends, do you know what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19? It says that God is building a church in which the gates of hell cannot prevail. 
Jesus told Peter, I'm going to give you, you as in the singular, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. We see in the book of Acts, Peter, God used Peter to take the keys of the kingdom of God and he unlocked the door of salvation for the Jews in Acts chapter 2. He unlocked the the door of the kingdom of God for the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. He unlocked the door of the kingdom of God for the Gentiles through Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And God used Peter to unlock the door of the kingdom of God for all of these people groups. But then in verse 19, he changes from the you singular to the you plural. And you know what he says to his church, as well as in Matthew 18, 18. Jesus says that when you pray, I want you to think about this. He says, when you pray, what is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. What is bound on the earth will be bound in heaven. What does Jesus mean by that? That means, friends, there is authority when you and I pray in the Spirit. There is authority when we call upon the name of the Lord. And what would Satan do? Some of you right now, you're praying for your children. Some of you right now, you're praying for your spouse. Some of you right now are praying for your grandchildren. And you're calling on the name of the Lord. You're pleading with God. You're begging with God that God would intervene and that God would save them. That God would step in. That he would rescue. That he would restore. That he would redeem them. And Satan would come to you at times and tell you, you're helpless. Your prayers aren't being effective. He would tell you, stop praying because they're meaningless. God isn't listening and God isn't paying attention. But no, let me tell you what this verse tells us. Our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has all authority. He has the key of David. And he's given that authority over to us, amen, that what we loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. And what we bind on the earth shall be bound in heaven. So when you begin to pray for your kids, let me tell you, let me preach to you, mom and dad, right now. You bind the works of Satan in your children's life. You forbid the works of darkness around them, amen? Some of your children are facing suicide. Some of your children are facing drugs. Some of your children are so far away from God. You don't know what to do. My friend, let me tell you what to do. You bind it in the name of Jesus Christ. That is the authority that has been given to you. Amen. The word word loose is also the word permit. The word bind is also the word forbid. Some of you need to begin to forbid Satan. You need to forbid the works of darkness. You need, to for, you need to forbid the discord. You need to forbid the lies. You need to forbid the deception. You need to forbid the darkness. And you need to begin to pray with the kind of authority that God has delegated to you. Amen. Jesus Christ, he has all authority. He has the keys of death and hell. He has the key of of David. And he tells us, Matthew 18, 18, whatever you bind, whatever you loose, it shall be done. The key of David, he says, I'll open doors that no man can open and I'll shut doors no man can shut. Have you experienced this in your own life? Have you found at times God would open ways where there seemed to be no way? 
And have you found that God has shut doors where perhaps it doesn't feel as though they would shut? No, let God do his sovereign work in your life. Now, notice verse number eight. He says, I know your works. (laughs) He says this to all the churches. I know your works. (coughs) You remember last week when we were in the city of Sardis? Unfortunately, the Lord Jesus Christ had nothing good to say to the city of Sardis. But here in Philadelphia, the Lord Jesus has nothing bad to say, nothing negative to say. Isn't that interesting? Of all of the seven churches, there are only two that did not receive a rebuke from the Lord Jesus. It was the church of Smyrna, the second of the seven, and now Philadelphia, the sixth of the seven. He says, I know your works. And notice what he says to this church. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no man can close. Do you remember what we said? This city was known as a little Athens, all the pagan worship. And Jesus says, I am the true one. I am the authentic one. I am genuine. And now, do you remember the second thing about this city? was that they were the doorway. They were the gateway to the rest of the countries. Well, Jesus says, I'm going to set before you an open door to which no man can shut. You know, again, it's interesting when you examine church history beside the seven churches, you find that it lines up quite remarkably. We said in the opening of our study that Ephesus would have been the apostolic age. We said that Smyrna would have been the early Roman government period with its fierce waves of persecution. We said that Pergamum was the church marrying the world That would have been the latter Roman Empire time when Constantine became a Christian and enforced Christianity. We said that Thyatira would have been the Middle Ages. And we said that Sardis would have been the Reformation and post-Reformation, that 15 and 1600 time period. Well, the Church of Philadelphia... This door that no man can close, this door of salvation, this door of opportunity, this door to the nations that God himself was going to open and no man could close. Well, friends, I believe this was the great missions period, that time period of the 1700s and the 1800s. If the Lord allowed me to live in any other time period than what I live right now, I don't know if I would not have chosen this great missions period. For again, Jesus had nothing negative to say to his church of this time. So what happened in this time was God began to raise up missionaries, particularly out of Great Britain, but also out of the young America. And missionaries began to go forth like never before. Missionaries like David Livingston out of Scotland, who went to Africa and absolutely transformed that entire continent. When David Livingston died, he had done so much for the people of Africa and done so much against slavery and done so much to bring the gospel into the interior of Africa that David Livingston was to be buried in Westminster Abbey where he is buried to this day. They packed his body in salt and 
shipped him across the Atlantic. But do you know what they did with David Livingston before he died? They removed his heart. And they buried his heart in the soil of Africa where it most certainly belonged. Men like Hudson Taylor, who was the first Englishman to go into the interior of China, that he died in 1905. But even to this day, over 100 years later, and he served China for nearly 50 years before 1905. And to this day, his ministry is still going, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Women like Mary Slessor, women like Gladys Allward, men and women like Anne and Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson was the first missionary sent out from America in the late 1700s. He and his wife Anne traveled to the country of Burma, what is today Myanmar. And do you know that when Adoniram Judson got to Burma, did you know there was not one known Christian in the entire country? And for over 40 years, Adoniram and Ann Judson gave their lives to the preaching of the gospel to the people of Burma. He translated the Bible, took him decades to do so, and he translated the Bible into the Burmese language. And to this day, it is the only copy of the Word of God that they have. Friends, his work continues. His work goes on. Men like William Carey, who is no more than a shoemaker and a shoe repairer, would sit in his shoe repairing office in, in London, England, and he made a map of the world, a homemade map, and he would sit there and repair shoes, and he would weep over the nations of the earth, and never dreaming that God would call him to go to India. And to, and to this very day, India bears the fruit of William Carey. Friends, it was an extraordinary time in church history. And I believe it was the Philadelphian church age. Jesus says, I know your works, and I have set before you an open door that no man can close. I believe we saw that happen. Now next, now notice what he says to the church next. <clears throat> I know that you have but little strength or little power. Now, what's Jesus saying here? Does he, does he mean that this is a weak and anemic church? No, I don't think that's what he means. Actually, in the Greek, what it means is they know where their source of strength is, and it's not themselves. You look at our current church age. You look at, the, at Christianity today. It's as though our strength is in ourselves. It's as though our strength is in, in, in our own strength or in our, our numbers or our whatever you want to measure. No, this church, their strength, their power, it was sourced in the Lord. For notice what he says next. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. <coughs> their strength wasn't in themselves. Their strength was not in their success. Their strength was in the source of Jesus Christ and not themselves. Now, he's going to say, he's going to note their persecution. He's going to say, yes, you have kept my word. You've not denied my name. And now notice the persecution here in verse number, oh, what verse am I in? Nine, I believe. 
9. Behold, the synagogue of Satan, who some say they are Jews, but are not. They lie. I will make them bow down at your feet and see that I have loved you. You know, this verse is difficult to interpret, but here's what many scholars believe. They believe that this refers that God's going to take our enemies and convert them and make them born again. A good example would have been the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. But what did God do with him? Oh, God humbled him. Amen? God humbled him and he converted him and he took him from a persecutor and made him a preacher and showed the love of God through him. Thank God for it. Now, notice verse 13. Notice what he says next. Ah, not 13. I'm so sorry. Verse 10. He's going to say, You have, uh, because you have kept my word of patient endurance. I'm going to keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, what does he mean by this? I believe that he's referring to the great tribulation period. This is not a regional testing. This is not a testing of the city. Notice what he said. That's going to come upon the entire world. This is going to be upon the entire earth. I believe this is referring to to the great tribulation. I think Jesus is saying there are remnants of this Philadelphian age that's going to be even to the point of Christ's coming. And then notice what he says in verse 11. I am coming soon. Amen. So hold fast to what you have. See that no man takes your crown or seizes your crown. Friends, Jesus Christ is coming soon. Do we live a life of preparation like that? Or would Jesus find us yawning and and not really living as though Christ is coming at any moment? I heard someone say one time, and I've always tried to live my life this way. They said that we we should prepare as though God won't come for another thousand years, but we should live as though God will come in the next second. Isn't that so true? Jesus said, behold, I'm coming soon. And some would say, well, if it says soon, why has he not come yet? Friends, the Bible says that one day is as a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years as one day. God's calendar is not your calendar. God's timing is not your timing, nor my timing, nor humanity's for that matter. And when Jesus says he's coming soon, well, don't interpret that as your understanding of soon. Interpret it with what Scripture says. So then, verse number 12. This is my favorite part of the day. This is what I've looked so forward to getting to to share with you. Verse number 12. Jesus then tells his church, To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and never shall he go out. Now, what's Jesus saying? Now, remember the three things we've noted about this city. They were nicknamed a little Athens because there were temple worship everywhere. And Jesus would say to them, I am the true God. I am the authentic. I am the genuine. You can't manufacture me. And then we said they were the gateway. They were the doorway. And Jesus said, I'm going to set before you an open door that no one 
and close. And then lastly, what did we say? They were prone to earthquakes. The greatest earthquake that they ever suffered was in 1780. B.C., right before Jesus was born. This was the same earthquake that destroyed Philadelphia that we mentioned last week that destroyed the city of Sardis. It was a massive earthquake, and it leveled the cities. And Rome rebuilt it under Tiberius. Well, because it was so prone to earthquakes, when a large earthquake like this happened, people would flee to the ci- outside the city. They would flee to the country, an area that was called the Burnt Lands. And there they would live in open air because they were afraid to come back to the buildings. Well, what Philadelphia began to do is they began to build their buildings with what? Pillars. As a matter of fact, if you Google pictures of ancient Philadelphia today, you can see the ruins of this city. Guess what you'll see everywhere in Philadelphia? Pillars. Isn't that interesting? And what is a pillar? Well, a pillar symbolizes stability. It symbolizes strength. And what Jesus is saying to this precious church is, I am going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You live in a region, you live in a world that's being shaken right now, but I'm going to make you a kingdom. I'm going to make you a people that cannot be shaken. Amen. And then he says something very specific. He says, and you will never go out of it. In other words, you'll never get scared and flee the country again. You'll never flee out of the city for the country lands. You'll never know what it is to be frightened. You'll never know what it is to be shaken. You'll never know what it is to be scared again. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Amen. So what is Jesus saying? Listen, you know as well as I know, right now on the earth today, right here where we are living right now, everything that can be shaken is being shaken. Is that right or wrong? Everything is being shaken. But let me give you some good gospel news today. You don't have to be shaken. Do you know why? Because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we have been given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And I don't know what your view is of COVID-19. I don't know what your view is of the economy. I don't know what your view is of the school system. I don't know what your views are of politics or of the upcoming election or of all the darkness that we're seeing now. But I'm telling you right now, I'm not shaken. And do you know why I'm not shaken? Because I am holding fast. To the word of God. And today, if you would hold fast to the word of God, all of these things that we're seeing today, they won't shake you. God will make you a pillar in the temple of his God. Amen. I want to be stable. I want to be strength. I don't want to be shaken. And I don't want to be tossed about with every wind and wave of this or that. No, I want to be solid. I want to be stable. I want to be strengthened in the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a life that you can live. God will make you a pillar today if you hold fast to him. If you keep his word. If you're serious about following Jesus. God will take the things that should be extremely scary in life. And God will say, no, let me give you my grace. And child, you don't have to be afraid of them. Amen. (laughs) 
You don't have to fear anything. Let me tell you, friends, there's nothing you have to fear. I was thinking, I got up early this morning, about 4.30, and I was thinking about those uh, months that led up to me being blind. I remember one day I was at the Cove, Billy Graham's training center in Asheville, and I was there by myself. I was there for just a personal spiritual retreat, which, by the way, if you've never done that, it's life-changing. You should do that at the Cove. I was there for a personal spiritual retreat, and I was there by myself, and while I was there, you know, I was already blind in my left eye through the torn retina, but I was quickly and swiftly and rapidly losing sight in my right eye. And it was while I was there, I was in deep prayer that my vision loss came, and it scared me so bad. That was a Friday. I drove home Sunday, and I had a difficult time driving home by myself because of my vision. Sunday morning came time to preach, and I was in the conference room over here by myself, and I was pacing because I was losing sight, and I couldn't see. And I was so scared, and I was so worried. My great friend, John Sable, came back there, and he saw the panic on my face. And now I fast forward. (laughs) Nearly two years I've been completely blind. October, end of October will make two years that I've been completely blind. And let me tell you, my friends, let me tell you, God has given me more vision today than I ever had with complete eyesight. I look back at the prospect of losing vision And it scared me to death. And now I'm standing here with no vision. And I'm telling you, it doesn't scare me an inch. And I look at it now and I go, what was there to be afraid of? What was there to be afraid of? Because see, like the church of Philadelphia, you and I may not have very much strength. We may may have but little power, but little strength. But see, listen to what 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says. Are you with me? Say amen if you're with me. Listen to what it says. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you believe that? Let me tell you something. I've crossed over a line in my life. I don't believe that anymore. I know it. I know it by experience. I'm standing here right now today quoting to you the word of God in full strength, not my strength, in God's strength, remembering over 50 things in my sermon list to be able to communicate with no eyesight and no vision. And I can tell you, God's grace is sufficient. And listen to what he goes on to say. He goes on to say, and my power is made perfect through what? Weakness. So Paul says, I will boast even more so then in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What a verse. What a verse. So what do we learn? What do we see? If we are but of little strength, 
if we are but of little power, let me tell you what we do. We take that to the Lord Jesus Christ, and here's what we understand. His grace is sufficient in that weakness, and it is through that weakness that the power of God is truly demonstrated in our life. Amen? And I'll tell you, for years, I felt as though I declared the gospel of Jesus Christ. For years, I felt as though I defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in many ways, my friend, for the first time ever in my life, I feel as though I am truly demonstrating the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm living a life that's not shaken. Does that mean I have moments of discouragement? Sure. Moments of fear? Oh, some, sometimes. But let me tell you what they are. They're just that. They're moments. And you know what happens when those moments come? The word of God rises up and it just chases that stuff off. Why? Because God is making us a pillar in the temple of his God. Amen. He's making us strong. He's making us stable. He's making us secure. Listen to what security is in this verse. And never shall he go out. Friends, that means nothing will ever scare us again. You say, oh, but Chad, death scares me. Oh, don't forget Revelation 1.8. Christ has the keys to both death, hell, and the grave. I'm like anybody else. Death frightens me. The unknown. But you know what I begin to think about sometimes? Blindness frightened me until I walked through it. And it doesn't scare me anymore. There's nothing to be scared of. Death will be the same way. Amen? And now look how he finishes. Now in these days, in these ancient days, if you wanted to honor someone, you wrote their name, you inscribed their name on these great ancient pillars. That's how you honored someone. (laughs) And look at the safety. Look at the security that is in our future. And Jesus says, I will write on this pillar being us, He'll make us the pillars of God, and he'll write on us the name of his God. Amen. You and I, for all of eternity, will bear the name of God. Think about that the next time you get mad and take God's name in vain. The next time you get angry and you curse with his name, remember, no, 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 friends. God so loves you, you'll bear his name for all eternity. And then look what he says. He'll write... The name of that new city, that new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. He'll write that name upon us. Friends, you and I have a home. You and I have a home. Let me tell you, the more I study Revelation, the closer that I get to understanding what God has prepared for those who love him. 2 Corinthians 2, 9. I'll just be very honest with you. The less I worry about these old eyes, (laughs) the less I'm concerned. The less I worry about it, the less I think about it, the more I'm thinking about heaven, the more I'm thinking about eternity, the more I'm thinking about what God has prepared for me. And then lastly, he says, I'll write that new name. That new name of Jesus Christ will be written upon us. Hallelujah. Friends, there's such security in Jesus today. Are you afraid today? Are you shaking? Is life's uncertainties? Have they got a hold of you? No, my friends, you need to look to the sovereignty of Jesus. You need to look at his holiness today, at his genuineness today, 
at his authority today. And you need to realize that God's made you part of a kingdom that can't be shaken. COVID-19 cannot shake this kingdom. Economic downturns cannot shake this kingdom. Job loss cannot shake this kingdom. Divorce cannot shake this kingdom. We live in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Oh, can I just throw it in? Blindness cannot shake this kingdom. Hallelujah. Do you live in that? Do you walk in that? you possess that? You say, Chad, I want to. How do I? Well, it's in the text. Hold fast to that which you've received. Hold fast. Keep the word of God in your heart. Keep it in your life. Friends, I'm not strengthened in my life because of a positive attitude. My attitude can get wonky. (laughs) My attitude can get downright bad. Ask my wife. She lives with me. I don't don't live the way I do because of my attitude. It's because of the word of God. Hold fast to it. Keep it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today. I don't know how you're living. I don't know what you need. But I know that God's word is speaking today. Speaking to me. I trust it's speaking to you. Lord Jesus, let your word speak to us. Perhaps today you're here and you're afraid. Like the people of Philadelphia that ran out of the city for the country, you're running from God today. You're running and yet your problems pursue you. You move and yet your problems move with you. You go to a new relationship and yet your problems are there. You try a new career, but yet your problems are there. Friends, you need to run to Jesus today. He's the only one who can rescue you. He's the only one that can satisfy you. He's the only one that can fulfill you. Today, if you need Jesus, right there, right where you are, You're listening online. You're watching online. Right where you are, everyone, right where you are, pray with me right now. Don't hesitate. Pray with me right now. Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you. I run to you today. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me with your blood. And become the Lord of my life. Save me. Rescue me. Today, Lord Jesus. I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer today, I would love to know it. It would make my day, make my year to know that you prayed with me. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for what you've done in our lives. For those of us, God, that there's uncertainty in our path. Maybe for some it's a job. For some it may be their health. For some it may be a relationship or their marriage. Whatever it is, God, 
Help us to live lives unshakable because you are making us pillars. Teach us what it is to stand in the strength of the Lord. Teach us these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.